this one that we're going to go through is called Discipling People Who Are Hurting. So I just want to give you kind of like a, some brief situations as we begin our, our topic of discussion. Uh, so picture you in these situations. You have a close friend who calls you. His wife just died in a tragic accident. Or another one, one of the members of your, of your church group here just got fired from work. Or your wife suffers with chronic pain that affects everything she does. Or you have a young wife who comes to your door in tears because her husband has just packed up and said he is leaving her. How do you respond to these situations? What do you do? What do you say? How do you pray for this person? Where do you go in scripture? How do you bring comfort? Well, we know that we live in a, a fallen world and that often brings pain, difficulty, suffering. So in order to be a good discipler, it's important to think about how to minister to those who, who are truly hurting. So though our study is not really comprehensive, uh, we're just kind of doing an introduction to this topic of discipling people who are hurting. What we're thinking about today is what theologians usually refer to as a theology of suffering. In studying a theology of suffering, we are forced to ask a few questions. How do I understand suffering? How does my view of suffering shape my faith? Are any of my thoughts on suffering unbiblical? Or how does my views on suffering shape the way I actually care for others? For most people, including many Christians, a general rule of thumb is to seek pleasure and to avoid pain at all costs. Yet that is obviously not what we find in Scripture. If someone could please open your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 to 18. If somebody could please read that out loud. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 to 18. And keep your Bibles open because periodically we'll be going back to them. I'm sorry, what's that right again? Second Corinthians 4, 17 to 18. For our momentary light affliction is working out for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. Thank you, Donna. God uses suffering as a means to help us grow closer to him and to bring him great glory. And the suffering in this sinful world is what? But for a moment. So looking at your handout, what does the Bible say about suffering? The first point, the Bible is realistic and honest about suffering in a fallen world. In other words, it does not point it does not paint a rosy picture of the Christian life, but is straightforward about the difficulties we face as believers. If you look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 to 19, what is that talking about? Sin had entered the world through Adam and Eve's disobedience to God. And then 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 22. These passages talk about God is not slack concerning his promise, but he is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
and there is a new heaven and earth. Second point is God is totally sovereign and totally good. If we look at Isaiah chapter 40, that's talking about the greatness of God. Would somebody please read Luke chapter 18, verse 19? Luke 18, verse 19. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Thank you, Constance. That's talking about the rich young ruler who failed to recognize the true nature of Jesus as the Son of God, calling him good, only in the sense that that the young ruler also considered himself good. So we know from Scripture this is true, though in difficult times our intellect or feelings lead us to deny this. Our minds ask, why does God, why does a good God let bad things happen to good people? Our feelings signal to us how much we are hurting and consequently doubt God's goodness. Truth is truth, even when we are struggling. That's a reality we need to grab hold of right now. Rather than denying God, we need to cry out to God. Cry out to God as a way of acknowledging his sovereignty and goodness, even in the midst of confusion and pain. The, the cross, that is, Christ's death for us, is in fact the ultimate evidence of God's sovereignty. And you'll read that in Acts chapter 4, verses 27 to 28, and talking about his goodness in Romans 5, verse 8. Will somebody please read Romans chapter 3, verse 23? Going to our third point, looking at the, t- at the same time, man is sinful and responsible for his own actions. Romans 3.23. All the sins that come short of the glory of God. Thank you, Jim. Galatians chapter 6, that talks about bear one another's burdens. Could somebody please read Philippians chapter 2, verse, verses 12 to 13. Philippians 2, 12 to 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in, not as in my presence only, but now not much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Thank you, Peter. Yes, be like Christ. Remember, sin comes from man, not from God. To say contrary would be blasphemy against a holy God. Man has fallen response. Man, excuse me. Man has full responsibility for the sinful choices we make. Solomon describes how the fool reaps folly on his own head by the life he lives. Fourth point: God uses everything for His good purposes. Men and women make sinful choices that hurt themselves and others and reap difficulties in their own life and the lives of others. God uses everything, including our foolish decision and their consequences for his good purposes. You read that in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. In other words, Genesis 50, verse 20, you thought evil, but God meant it for good. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Can somebody please read that? Romans 8, 28. 
Uh, did you remember, Jim? I, 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 set, me, set me up to this point. All things. All things work together for good. For them that love God and the cold for Amen. Thank you, brother. Yes, all things work together for good to them that love God. All right, our next point. God builds good things into the lives of his children, even through difficult circumstances. Difficult circumstances are not pleasant. The pain is real and it's not enjoyable. Consequently, people often interpret suffering as punishment from God, yet scripture says that God uses suffering to shape and mold his children. We are not to lose heart because our suffering produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are trained by it. That's in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 11. And our last point in this section is, how should we respond to suffering as Christians? That is, turn to God, not away from him. For those who are undergoing hardships, there are a lot of questions that must be sorted through, like, what do we do to make things better? Or, why is this happening? Yet the most fundamental question a person can ask and answer is, who do we turn to in the midst of our suffering? We must trust in God's sovereign goodness. When I went through a hardship a year and a half ago with such uncertainty, oh, how I saw I was not as sturdy or grounded in our blessed Lord as I thought. I trusted too much in my, in my finite self. And um, it was, as Spurgeon wrote, um, and I put that on some of your, your tables there, quoting Spurgeon, uh, I could run half a mile before him when all was, excuse me, quote, I could run a half mile before him when all was fine and fair, but once bring the lion, and it is father, father, as close as he can be, end quote. <laughs> Will somebody please read Psalm 42, verses 5 and 11? Psalm. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. For the help of his presence, O my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. Next verse? Oh, just uh, verse 5 and just verse 11. Verse 11 is fine. Okay. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. The help of my kindness and my God. Thank you, brother. Yeah, my soul is cast down, yet I hope in God, for I will praise him for the help of his countenance. And in Psalm 56, verse 3, when afraid, I will trust in God. Next section in your handout is, what are God's purposes in suffering? In a world that typically lives for pleasure and avoids pain, Christians must fight the tendency to avoid suffering. Suffering is not meaningless. God has purposes for our suffering. We certainly can't understand all of God's purposes for suffering, but we can understand a few because they are revealed in Scripture. Suffering 
gives us an opportunity to stand out as Christians in a world that does not honor God. We should count it a privilege to suffer as a Christian. There should be no shame in it. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Could somebody please read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 to 9? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 to 9. Well, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction which come to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we could spare even to live. Indeed, we had the, uh, the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not have confidence in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Thank you, Constance. Yes, suffering teaches us to rely on God, not on ourselves. What suffering often does to us is peel away all those superficial layers of life, much like an onion peeled to its core. What we find, what we find when we get to our core is that ugliness and treachery of our sin. We don't want to trust God or build our lives around him. We want to be self-dependent and self-reliant. Yes, suffering teaches us to turn away from our self-dependence and to turn to God instead. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about that hardship we suffered in the province of Asia. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Amen. Suffering teaches us God's decrees. We read that in Psalm 119, verse 71. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Could somebody please read James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4? James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete. Thank you, Kennedy. Yes, suffering matures us into godly people the Lord is molding for himself. Next point, the, the Savior receives glory through our suffering. We read that in 1 Peter 4.13. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And our last point on this section, suffering even allows us to share in the Son's glory. We read that in Romans 8.17. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. It is God's prerogative to permit suffering. Pain can be meaningless or it can be meaningful. Consider this for a moment. God could have chosen to leave us in our pain and to make nothing of it. Yet out of his mercy and because pain is not beyond God's sovereignty, he uses suffering to bring greater glory for himself and to shape us to look more like himself. So it is a 
privilege and joy to partake in that suffering that we may be going through in this life. So how do we prepare our discipling friends for suffering? Well, the best time to learn about suffering, obviously, is not during the middle of a crisis. The best way to prepare someone is to think about it uh, when times are, are well for you. So let's go through some of these points. Let's take some time to talk about that suffering, those hardships. Typically, in our discipling relationships, we only talk about difficulties when we are experiencing suffering. Don't wait until suffering comes to finally talk about it. If you are discipling someone, make it a priority to talk about suffering before it comes. We know everyone will undergo some suffering in their lifetime. So it's not a matter of if suffering will come, but, but obviously when. Next point, help them to deconstruct worldly assumptions about suffering. For most Christians, there are some worldly assumptions that influence their thoughts on suffering. Help them to, to disentangle the worldly assumptions from their suffering. For example, we mentioned earlier how people assume that suffering is a bad thing. Help them to realize this is contrary to Scripture. Suffering is normal, a normal part of our Christian life. You read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Paul asked the Lord how many times, how many times did Paul ask the Lord to remove that thorn? Three times. Three times. Observe here. Three, three times. Three times, yes. But what did Jesus say to Paul? In Roman, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That is, God's strength, paradoxically, is not measured in ordinary terms. For example, our riches, our beauty, or our intellect, but rather is made perfect in weakness. And Paul said he was most glad, most glad, and rather glory in his infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon him. Third point, will you study God's purposes for suffering as revealed in his word? And why? You are more capable of a, assigning godly meaning to suffering in, in midst of the difficulties if you have taken the time beforehand to study, to study God's purposes as it is revealed in scripture. Studying suffering, or next point, studying suffering uses good Christian articles and books. Because Christians have wrestled with this topic for over just a couple decades, just a couple hundred years, for a thousand, over a thousand years. Our brothers and sisters have gone through much these last thousands of years, excuse me, a thousand years since our glorious Lord Jesus came. And there are many writings out there. So I would recommend reading Fox's Book of Martyrs that chronicles the suffering and brutal deaths of Christians spanning five centuries. Or how about Christians who all survived the Holocaust or in World War II and helped save Jews or was part of the Dutch underground or trusted in the Messiah, in our Messiah, like Corey Ten Boom, Anita Dittman, and Diet Eman. Or even for today, you can read a book from Steve Estes or Joni Erickson Tata 
titled, When God Weeps. So, brothers and sisters, find some good Christian articles and books to read to be encouraged by. <coughs> Nextly, build the relationships before suffering comes. As a discipler, you can better get to know the person when things are not so difficult. You can explore more of their life, get to know strengths and weaknesses, learn about them when things are well. If you build a relationship when life is going well, I pray you have a foundation from which to work when things are difficult. Nextly, focus on faith. Remind them that troubles will come and they should prepare to respond to them in faith. Will somebody read John 16, 33? John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace in the Lord. You will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Thank you, Michael. Be of good cheer, brothers and sisters, because Jesus Christ has overcome this world. And last point on this section, help build a foundation on the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. When Christians struggle with suffering, whether they realize it or not, often what they're doing is doubting God's character. You read that in Luke chapter 6, verses 47 to 48. That is what? Much like I teach my children, it is like a man who built his house on Jesus Christ, a firm foundation. For when the flood came, it fell not. I'm looking at my daughter. Hopefully she remembers that. Either they are doubting God's goodness or his sovereignty or both. You can help prepare people for suffering by building into them a firm understanding of God's character particularly his goodness and sovereignty. One of the best things you can do as a discipler is to study the character of God with your Christian friend, not just for the sake of preparing for suffering, but because it will help them with their Christian life. Lastly, teach them to meditate on the gospel. Before suffering comes, build into them the habit of regularly tuning to and meditating on the truths of the glorious gospel and our beloved word that God has given us. Help them to remember that God sent his son to suffer on our behalf. In Psalm verses, 40, chapters 42 and 43 of the Psalms, we read about seek after the Lord and hope in God. So how? How can we help our discipling friends when times are difficult? Well, old church member, accept your covenant responsibility to partake in their suffering. You accepted membership in this church. If not, you're applying for membership. So you've accepted the responsibility to care for those who are suffering, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're a child here in this church and a member, member of this Christian family. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 25 to 26. I'll summarize it here. Paul writes, So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, 
every part suffers with it. So if one person struggles, we don't all literally feel his pain, but all of us should show concern for him. Next, be present when suffering comes. Don't let people go through suffering alone. Despite many of their foolish comments, we must still give Job's friends credit for the way they cared for him at the outset of his trials. When they, when they came to him, they, they became greatly distressed over Job's suffering. After initial wailing and tearing of their clothes, they followed Jewish custom and sat with him in silence for how many days and nights? That's in Job chapter 2, verse 13. Seven. Seven days and nights. But why? Why did they do that? The scriptures tell us no one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Your presence in the midst of suffering is a powerful means for caring for others. Next, will you be an ambassador in comfort? You have a duty to show comfort to others because God has first shown comfort to you. This may please read again 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. Let's seek the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Thank you, Kevin. Do not hoard the comfort you have received. God comforts you so that you can comfort others. How have we been comforted by the gospel? God sent his son to die for our sins so that we do not have to bear the wrath that we deserve. What good news that is to our ears. How comforting that should be in our hearts. Oh, Christian God has cared for us by making the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf, by sending his son to die for us. Next, be willing to make sacrifices for others in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Suffering never seems to come at a convenient time. You can't schedule a crisis on your fancy phone and hope it conveniently fits in within the time allotted. Often, difficult situations crop up when you don't have the time to devote to others. So it will more than likely require you as a discipler to make sacrifices in your time in order to care for a struggling person. Next, gently instruct in difficult, but mainly comforting crisis. So in those difficult situations, people can quickly get overwhelmed with emotions and get confused about what to do. Gently and graciously instruct them and guide them if they need the help. But your main objective, your main objective is to show comfort in the midst of crisis. Reaffirm God's character. Talk about God's mercy and goodness. You read that in 2 Samuel 24, verse 14, and Psalm 34, verse 8. In the midst of their struggles, people often search for answers to difficult questions like, why is my son dying of cancer? Or, why did my husband have to die of a heart attack now? Or, why did I lose my job? Doesn't God care? Don't get drawn into abstract theoretical discussions about 
this type of theology. Don't don't in other words, don't don't try to explain the problem of evil and how a good God could allow evil to persist. But focus your conversation on reaffirming the character of God and their need to trust in his mercy and goodness. Also, don't try to explain what you do not know. With some of these why questions, you may not have a good answer, and that's okay. Don't feel like you have to make up an answer or else you have failed in your Christian discipling. Don't get drawn into abstract theoretical discussion about theology. That is, um, excuse me, it's okay to say, I don't know, and then focus your, your answers as best you can on the foundational truths that have been real, revealed to us in Scripture. Rather than trying to give answers for questions that you, you do not know, answer with what you do know about the gospel. In their suffering, remind them of great gospel truths like the merciful and loving character of God, the all-sufficient sacrifice of the suffering Savior on our behalf. Truth is always true, and sin is always sin. Read that in Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 10 through 11, and Romans 6, 23. In the midst of a crisis, the black and white of truth and sin can sometimes become gray. Sometimes people can start to reconstruct their theology of suffering in the midst of a crisis. When that happens, be sure to stand firm on what you know is true and what you know is a lie. Pray for them. Pray with them and for them. One of the most comforting things you can do for a person is to pray for them in the midst of their struggles. They might not know how to pray because they are overwhelmed by their struggles. Pray words of comfort. Let your prayers also be instructive, directing their mind and heart towards truth. Truths that might be hard to focus on in the middle of their struggle for believers who are able to offer to pray with them. What an encouragement to pray together and go before the throne of God together. And you read that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Also, think practically how to serve them. One of the first questions you can ask when a person is going through their struggle or crisis is, what can I do to help you? Think practically when it comes to giving help to a person who is, who is truly struggling. And don't be scared to ask for outside help. You're not alone. As a discipler, there are going to be times when you will be overwhelmed by your discipling friend's difficulties. Don't be scared to seek outside counsel, especially from the pastors or from other godly members. And draw on others in if, if you're unsure how to help. A feeling of being overwhelmed or the fact that others have more knowledge on how to help a specific problem both can be indicators that you should seek help. You should seek help outside of your sphere of influence. So we have, I uh, had three points uh, in conclusion. Um, those three points are discipling people who are hurting starts when times are good by building a solid foundation for difficult times that will come. Secondly, dealing with difficulty and crisis, it does take discernment. Lots and lots and lots of prayer, um, gentleness and comfort. 
and willingness to help because it's a spiritual battle. And the third point would be praise God for the privilege we have to point others who are suffering to the goodness and, and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.